Hey, welcome to Cornerstone Ministries Young Adult Podcast. We hope this serves as a resource for you as you seek, find, and grow in your walk with Jesus. Tune in for more sermon audios from our young adult services and other original content. If you already have a home church, we're glad this can be another tool for you, but if not, we hope that you would check us out online at cornerstonelive.net or join us in person. Cornerstone is in Murraysville, PA, and services are Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Our young adult ministry gathers every other Tuesday at 7 p.m. We pray you're encouraged to build deeper relationships through this message from Pastor Brandon. I am excited to uh, continue on in our series and, and jump in with uh, these relational truths that we've been trying to, to bring clarity to. And the, the whole mindset and driving force behind this is this season of life that we find ourselves in, um, just this 18 to 30 year range, there are so many elements of relationships we feel like we have a grasp on, but then once you transition into this season of life where frankly your schedules aren't planned out for you daily, um, at least if you went to public school, and now as you're left with all of this freedom, not only in your schedule, but now as you're trying to decide where is it you're going to place value in your time and who, you're, who you are going to allow to consume some of your time, that starts to make things a little hairy as we try and process not just our romantic relationships, but our friendships, um, the, the relationships that we have with our family members. Um, so this series is kind of working its way into a lot of different elements. So where I wanted to dig into tonight is the reality that most of us at some point or another have struggled with the difficulty of having flaky friends. And how do you actually develop genuine relationships? Now, my parents, they had, me, they had me super late in life, and I'm at a, a stage of life now where as I'm understanding at a deeper level adulthood, I'm looking at my older parents and seeing things in them where it's, I notice things where I say, oh, that's something I want to mirror, or this is something I want to work on. But here's what's tricky and here's what's difficult. If you're not careful, you're going to find yourself in a very difficult season of life and realize that you never actually learned how to build relationships. Now, I don't say this as a knock against any of the guys that were a part of my wedding, but I'll say this, the amount of depth that I have in the guys that stood next to me at the altar on my wedding day, the depth of those relationships are not there. And there's a handful of them, there are moments where we kind of reignite some of those friendships and relationships, that's not a knock against them or their character, but it's actually kind of a dig at myself because I did not know how to build deep, meaningful relationships. And here's what we need to understand. There was um, a couple of years ago, actually this was probably about nine years ago now, I got introduced to a camp called Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters in North Carolina. And this past summer, about, I want to say three weeks Um, no, excuse me, maybe about five weeks before my family and I moved here, um, we took the students in the student ministry to this camp one last time. This is the second time we were taking them. And the theme for the the counselors and for the camp, they had it on their shirt, was take a day off, get eaten by a lion. And it was centered around this idea in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
And here's what's so interesting about this, if we want to um, throw up that next slide, is that lions will hunt in packs, but they typically hunt during the day, and their best statistical chance of a single lion making a kill is when they stumble across a lone prey who is caught by surprise. And what's interesting is even though lions are considered one of the most deadly animals, their statistical like kill rate is only 25%. Because they're actually not fantastic hunters solo. So here's the reality. Yes, there's a very real presence of spiritual warfare and demons, but in that capacity, Satan is a sole lion seeking whom to devour. And we end up, whether by choice or by not, uh, we put ourselves in these vulnerable positions because even though we might understand in head knowledge that the God has wired us for relationships, not just with him, but with others, is we leave ourselves open to temptation and we leave ourselves open to attack when we become isolated. When we decide to kind of section, us, section ourselves off, like I said, by choice or not, we put ourselves in a position where we become that lone prey and we greatly increase Satan's capacity to be able to hunt us down and take us out. So there's a very real threat in understanding building uh, genuine relationships. And here's where we can kind of get tripped up. Here's how we can kind of get stuck in some things is we feel like we end up getting dragged into this conversation of, well, do I want to build width in my relationships or do I want to build depth? Do I want to build width in my relationships or do I want to build depth? And this is kind of that pitfall that we end up sinking into in high school, right? There's this natural draw of, well, I just, you know, I want everybody, I want to know everybody, not in a sense of we feel drawn into being popular, but in, in a sense we feel drawn into, we want to be able to get along with everybody. And we have this tendency to lean towards with. Now, if we actually stop and we talk about, well, do you want wide relationships or do you want deep ones? I don't think I've ever, ha- ever had a conversation with somebody that specifically said, I would rather have more friends that are shallow than fewer friends that are deep. We would all, most people would choose to have fewer deep relationships. But subconsciously we drift towards this this natural desire to just appeal to everyone. And it draws us actually into a really dangerous spot. Proverbs 18, 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we get caught up when we build this width, when we build this width within our relationships, we end up with unreliable friends. So we have to ask ourselves, are, are our friend groups wide and shallow or are they narrow and deep? And within this concept, especially within uh, psychology, this was in the 1990s, it was a, a, a British philanthropist had this theory, and it's been coined Dunbar's number. And through a series of tests and, a little, and some research, he came up with this theory that each human being, on average, has the capacity for certain levels and depths of relationship. So Dunbar's number, or Dunbar's theory, is this, that every person has the capacity for five loved ones. 
for 15 good friends, 50 friends, 150 meaningful contacts, 500 acquaintances, and 1,500 people you recognize. Oh, you need me. You know, I thought you were saying wrap it up. Like, let's, let's be done. <laughs> wrap it up. No, you're saying rewind it back. Five loved ones, 15 good friends, 50 friends, 150 meaningful contacts, 500 acquaintances, and 1,500 people you recognize. I'll just give you the notes afterwards, Lena. But guys, this, this concept of Dunbar's number, it, here's, here's what's tricky, is you look at this concept of meaningful contacts. That includes family, anything like that. You know, I remember when um, I was actually, I was talking with one of the other young adults about this uh, who is currently engaged and they're looking at the size of their wedding. And I was like, well, how many people are you inviting? And she said, 170. And you think, my goodness, that's a huge wedding. But when Lex and I, when we sat down to figure out how many people were invited to our wedding, we were struggling to get it down under 175 because as soon as you include in aunts and uncles and grandparents and cousins, nieces and nephews, you know, everything like that, once we got through both of our families, we were already in the, like, hundred and teens. So you think about it, if I have 150 meaningful contacts and over 100 of them is being taken up by family. And you think you start to bring in professors, you start to bring in pastors, you start to bring in people that you met at church, whatever it might be, and you think, man, this is really filling up quick. And I'm curious, how many of you have ever met somebody or interacted with somebody where you feel like they're just tapped out? Like you would love to build a relationship with them, but they kind of have this, this, this vibe about them that they just don't have time for you? It's not even necessarily coming from a place of not having a desire to connect with you, but it's very possible that it is a psychological impossibility for them to literally fit you into their mental capacity. And then we get this kind of really awkward, like, relational hunger games, like, I'm going to kill you and take one of your spots, like, and, you know, and it gets really weird. But here's, here's what's tricky, is you start to factor this in. And you think, if I have the, my deepest relationships, five loved ones, 15 good friends, but here's what happens. We have those 150 meaningful contacts. They get filled up just by the people that we are around. And what happens is we randomly pick and choose people that we seemingly have more in common with or that we've spent a little bit more time with. And even though they are meaningful within our lives, there's actually no depth in that relationship because we've kind of just promoted them from this meaningful contact stage and we place them into that good friend spot or those loved one spots. Like I said, guys, this, these are not exact numbers, but you gotta track with me here on the theory. So what happens is we create those spaces of deepest relationships and we fill them with people that are simply in the vicinity. They're just nearby. We typically find friends and develop friendships based solely on Vicinity. And what happens is we end up finding ourselves alone and isolated because our development of friendships, our development of relationships stops with vicinity. So it was actually, I was talking with somebody about this the other day and I asked him, I said, how many friendships do you still have from high school? I said, ah, probably about like eight to 10. And I said, well, how many of those friendships that you still have from high school, out of those friendships, they're all people who are still in town? Eight to ten. 
And if you leave home, you go off to school, and you think about how many of those relationships have I hung on to? So what happens is we naturally fall into this, not how God intended it, but through just laziness, through not knowing how to build relationships, we fall into this stigma of very shallow relationships because we just promote people through the ranks just because they're around us a lot, but we never actually learned how to cultivate a deep connection with them. So then what happens is sometimes we genuinely have flaky friends, people who just don't care, they don't show up, because that's really awkward, right? You remember when you were a kid, sometimes, hopefully you're not still like this, but I don't know, sometimes I can be. We can be super jealous about our friendships, and when you're a kid, it's like, well, you can't be my best friend if I'm not your best friend. If you're going to be my best friend, I've got to be your best friend. If you're going to be my best friend, I've got to be your best friend. We, we have to be best friends, and that's it. You, I, I can't say you're my best friend if your best friend is somebody else. And even though we don't talk like that into adult life, we still kind of handle our friendships that way, right? And we can get offended when we say, I want this person to, intentionally or not, I'm going to place this person in that five loved ones category. I'm going to place this person in that 15 good friends category. And then you feel like it's a flaky relationship because unbeknowing to you, you're actually just in that 150 category. Or you're in that 500 category. And you're thinking, man, how come they never show up for me? And there isn't reciprocation in that depth of relationship. So guys, here's what it comes down to. is We have to start looking at how do I develop a deep connection with someone? How do I build a real relationship with them? And where we have to start is this concept of, of self-sacrifice. Exodus 17, is, it's, it's just a really cool story. As Moses and Joshua, they're trying to uh, overcome difficulty and defeat the Amalekites and uh, God gives Moses specific commands on how he wants to handle all of this. So he goes up on this mountaintop, and as Moses stretches out his hands over the battle, over the nation of Israel, over the army, they begin to have victory. But what happens is as Moses is extending his hands, his arms grow weak, so he calls two men of God to come alongside him to support him, and those are Aaron and Ur. So Exodus 17, verses 12 through 14, when Moses' arms grew tired, Aaron and Ur brought a stone for him to sit on, and while they stood beside him and held up his arms, holding them steady until the sun went down. In this way, Joshua totally defeated the Amalekites. Then the Lord said to Moses, write an account of this victory so that it will be remembered. Tell Joshua that I will completely destroy the Amalekites. Because, guys, here's what it comes down to. When you're trying to build deep, meaningful relationship, our, our unit of measure is inconvenience. That your love for a person can be measured by how much it inconveniences you. How far out of your way are you willing to go for someone? They call you up at 9 o'clock at night, hey, Car broke down, I need a ride, I'm 10 miles from you. Are you going to pick them up at 9 o'clock? Are you going to pick them up at 10 o'clock? Are you going to pick them up at 3 a.m.? What if it's not 10 miles? What if it's 50 miles? What if it's 100 miles? Your depth of love for someone can be measured by how much it inconveniences you. And you look at that concept and you start to process that and you think about, yeah, 
I think it's safe to say Jesus' sacrifice was inconvenient. Wasn't exactly pleased with that one. But motivated by a deep, deep love for us, the gospel becomes absolutely beautiful. John 15, verses 12 through 13. This is my commitment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The depth of your love is measured by how much it inconveniences you. How far out of your way are you willing to go? So if we have this unit of measure, we have this understanding of, okay, I need to be intentional about how I develop friendships. I need to be intentional about how I develop relationships. I can't just go with the model I used in high school where, hey, I had a class with this person or I have several classes with this person or we have the same sport that we play because that's not going to cut it. Because what happens when the season ends? What happens when that semester ends? What happens when they move? What happens when they go back home? What happens when I move? That is not a healthy life cycle of relationships to say, I'm going to build relationships in high school. Okay, that season of life is done. Let me build new relationships while I'm in college. Okay, that season of life is done. Now I'm going to build new relationships as I'm entering my first job. Okay, new job, time to build new friendships. And we joke about those things, right? Oh, well, you're my, you're my work spouse. You're my work buddy. But then you have other friends outside of work, and we build these pockets of people based on our location because we only know how to build relationships based on vicinity. So how do, I, how do I build this? What does it look like? What are kind of some of the markers I can go through to start to actually look at the depth and value of relationship that I'm actually seeking and after? Because like I said, most people would probably say, I would much rather have fewer friends that go much deeper in relationship. If you want to have a genuine biblically rooted relationship, friendship with someone, then you need to find a relationship that's willing to rectify. A relationship that's willing to put right or correct. And two really good, good examples of this are, are Mark and Paul, or John, Mark, and Paul. I think Paul and Barnabas, these two guys who were going out, they were doing ministry together, and they go and they do ministry together on their first missionary journey. And John, Mark, or Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, uh, Barnabas's cousin, he travels with them, but then he kind of bails on them halfway through. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas, they, they disagree over John Mark and his role within their ministry, so they go different ways. But then in 2 Timothy 4.11, toward the end of Paul's life, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I need you to bring John Mark with you because he is of much use to me. And we don't see the inner workings and details of this, but somewhere along the way, their relationship was rectified. It was put right. See, real friends aren't going to leave you where you're at, but they will call you out. They will call out the problems. They're willing to, to talk about the difficult things. I don't think there's a single deep friendship in my life where we have not disagreed heavily on some things. Nobody, this is a, a very awkward thing, and as we talk about it, it makes sense to us logically, but yet for some reason we still kind of avoid this. And when you, stop, you step back and process, you know, what does a healthy marriage look like? And you get this kind of... Uh, uh, 
Hallmark movie mindset of we're going to get all of our fighting out because we're going to have some trauma and difficulty in our dating, but then we're going to live happily ever, happily ever after. It's like that. It's, there's going to be some climax where we kind of split or go separate ways, or he betrayed me or she betrayed me, and we're going to work through our problems, and then we're going to live happily ever after, and we're never going to argue again. That's not a healthy relationship. It's not a healthy relationship. A deep, meaningful relationship is going to acknowledge and recognize the difficulties and the problems as they arise, but then they're going to be willing to put them right. Matthew 18, 15. Matthew 18 kind of gives us this outline and breakdown of how we're supposed to handle our, our difficulties with one another. And I'm sure some of you guys have heard this passage outlined before. But 18.15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have won him back. You have put right that relationship. But Colossians 3, and I've mentioned these before, and I encourage you guys, if you've never done this, to basically do a study of the one another's in Scripture. It's a beautiful example of how we're supposed to understand each other in relationship or the Ale Leons in the Greek. But Colossians 3, verse 13, it says, bearing with one another, being patient with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If you want to have a genuine relationship with someone, guess what? Difficulties are going to arise and you need to learn how to correct it, how to put it right. But see, when we have relationships based solely on vicinity, what happens? We just change our location, right? Well, I don't have to spend time with them anymore. I don't have to deal with the problem. We can kind of sweep that under the rug over here, completely ignore it. We can let that relationship dissolve, and I'll go find another relationship over here, and this one will be all hunky-dory until there's a problem, and then I'll avoid that problem, and then I'll go find a new one. And those 15 good friends just become a revolving door of people who agree with you for a season. And then we step back and we wonder, man, why can't I keep genuine, deep relationships in my life? Because you're not willing to fight for it. You're not willing to let that relationship inconvenience you. It's not pleasant, I understand that. It is inconvenient and awkward and uncomfortable to sit down with somebody that you have shared memories with, that you enjoy spending time with, and being able to look them in the eye. I'm just using you as an example and say, Andrew, like you really ticked me off the other day. You didn't. Just an example. I didn't even see you the other day. That's what upset me. You never came and said, hey, I'm just kidding. But we're so sensitive to those things, right? If someone were ever to come and tell me they were mad with me, oh my goodness. All right, I can't, I can't deal with you right now. I got too much stress. I got too much going on. I can't deal with this. So let me go back over here where it's easy, where everybody just agrees in my, in my little bubble of relationships. And then when that's popped, I'll go make a new bubble of relationships where people all agree with me. And then we go, man, why are my relationships so shallow? Because we give up on them at the first sign of adversity. If you want to have genuine relationships, you've got to learn how to rectify. You need to learn how to encourage. This one's tricky. This one's tricky. Because there is a facade, there is a knockoff version of encouragement, and it doesn't work. 
If you guys don't know the story of Job, Job was blessed immensely by the Lord. But as he is dealing with a lot of adversity, we have this kind of uh, interaction going on between God and the devil and Satan. And what's interesting about Job, it actually tells us a lot about the theology of Satan and understanding that he doesn't have authority, that he doesn't have power, that he's not uh, all places, um, he's not all-knowing, but he's not commanded by God, but he goes and searches and comes back to God and says, God, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And God says, have you checked out my man Job? And through a series of slowly uh, taking Job through trials, he loses everything he has, he loses his health, he loses his good looks as he's covered in boils. And he's in this moment of, of weeping and mourning. And he has a group of friends that come and they sit in silence with him. And this is where we have to learn how to encourage. Now, once Job's friends start opening their mouths, they screw it up royally. But up until that point, they had it right. Up until that point, they had it right. They were able to come alongside him and empathize and feel the pain that he was living in in that moment. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That a genuine relationship, they're going to be there to cry with you, to praise with you, and give you the support that you need when you need it. But this is what I mean when I say this one's tricky because we have this knockoff version of encouragement. Is because in a moment when we see somebody who needs us to step in to mourn with them, we, in a state of pride or maybe just a state of being a know-it-all, we insert ourselves and say, oh, oh, let me give you my two cents. Even though we are the same age and the exact same season of life, I know what you're going through and I have some wisdom for you. That's somebody who's ripping clouds with their nose. If you're listening on the podcast, you missed out on the game before this message. But this concept of encouragement, we translate that as fix, counsel, mentor. And we insert ourselves into situations where someone's saying, honestly, I just want to be miserable with you. Not like towards you. I just want to be miserable and you be present with me. And sometimes, guys, when we step in with our, with our little two cents, it comes across extremely condescending and it discourages rather than encourages. So in a moment of mourning, we step in and we, we have these little Christianese sayings, hey, you just got to give it to God. He's got a plan for this. You got to trust him. It's like they, they know that. Or you hope, if you're building a deep relationship with them and a desire to not be unequally yoked, you hope they know that. But you're going to insert yourself and you're going to just spout off little proverbs to them thinking that's going to help fix the pain that they're walking through. So we get this concept of encouragement a little twisted. It doesn't mean to step in and give your two cents. Now, yes, there are moments that you will need to lead, but we're going to get there. 
So a genuine relationship is going to rectify, it's going to encourage, there is going to be a level of accountability. But, again, we get this one a little backwards. A great example of this is Paul with Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon is called out by Paul. See, this guy Philemon, he has a, a slave, Onesimus, who betrays him in some way. And Paul calls him out. He says, Philemon, you need to receive your brother Onesimus back. It's time to forgive him. But this concept of accountability is that they're going to walk through difficulty with you. Accountability does not mean they are accountable to you. Accountability means I am going to remind you of the fact that you are accountable to the Lord. There is a very subtle and yet powerful difference. So for me to come alongside Dom and say, hey, Dom, I I want us to be accountability partners. What that does not mean, if Dom catches me in something, he then gets to scold me as if he is authority. No, no, no. His job is to remind me of the fact that I am held accountable before the Lord. Because when we twist that around and say, hey, we're accountability partners. Why didn't you tell me about this? You got this messed up. You screwed up. I'm not saying not to be firm. But what happens is we place the position of power, we take it off the Lord, and we put it on ourselves and say, you're accountable to me. So we're going to be accountability partners because I want you to be better. No, no, no. We're going to be accountability partners because I want you to be more like Jesus, and you're held accountable to the Lord, and I want to help push you to that. So what Paul doesn't say, he doesn't say, Philemon, you've got to receive your brother because I told you to do it. But he appeals to him as as a friend and as a brother. And he says, listen, man, this is a representation of of how you can show love of Christ in this situation. I need you to receive and forgive Onesimus, not because I'm telling you to, but because this is what God is calling you to do. And there's a subtle but powerful difference. Proverbs 27, 17, one that we've probably quoted and I would say misquoted in this concept of accountability, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And what that accountability entails is friction. When you're sharpening something, there's an element of friction there. There's going to be tension. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. So genuine relationships will rectify. They're going to put right those issues between one another. They're going to encourage one another or mourn with those who mourn. Come alongside them. Not simply step in and give your two cents. Let's, let's, which, let's be honest, sometimes when we feel the need to step in and give our two cents, that two cents is completely worthless because it's not in the right setting, it's not in the right moment. There is going to be a level of accountability there, but that's not necessarily accountability to one another. It is a mutual understanding that we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going remind to remind each other that we are accountable to the Lord. And the fourth and final thing is deep, meaningful relationships. There are going to be moments and elements of leadership. You think about the the relationship between Elijah and Elisha or Paul and Timothy. That there are going to be moments when a genuine relationship, a real friend is going to take charge and challenge you to be better. But there's a mutual understanding because that person will also be humble enough to let you do the same. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So as you're building relationship with each other, there's moments where as you're trying to mourn with them, as you're trying to remind them of the fact that they're held accountable before the Lord, guys, let's be honest, there's season of life where you just, you can't even get up in the morning. And in that concept of self-sacrifice with Aaron and Ur, a genuine relationship is going to, I'm going to be your strength for you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to carry you these next few steps. But not in a position of ego, not in a position of arrogance, but from a place of, I'm going to do this because I know that if I needed it, you would do the exact same thing for me. Now, when you put all these things together, you can build a deep, meaningful relationship, but you realize how fragile all this is. Because that concept of leadership immediately falls apart as soon as ego and arrogance comes into play, and there's that lack of humility. And what happens is you build this relationship, you build this friendship where you feel like one person is always kind of spiritually one-upping the other because they're constantly trying to take that position of leadership. So when you're trying to have a conversation with someone and, and build something deeper and you say, man, I really feel distant from the Lord right now. And instead of saying, oh, no, I get that. Those moments are tough. We say, oh, I've been there. I know how to fix that. Here's what you need to do. And you condescend and you kind of smear their face in a little bit of, hey, you're, you're, I'm, I'm more spiritually well off than you are. That accountability falls apart when you shift that position of power and say, I'm holding you accountable to me. The encouragement falls apart when we feel the need to inject our two cents, inject our wisdom to it. So in a moment where your friend just needs you to cry with them, we feel like we need to pipe up and express our idea. And when we have difficulty and frustration, and they say, hey, are we good? You say, oh, yeah, it's all fine. But then you go to one of those other 15 people and you say, ah, oh, this one's really bugging me right now. So you're not actually rectifying or putting it right. You're just ignoring it over here and then gossiping about it over here. So all of these different things don't fit together and we, we fail at them constantly. And then we get through all this and we step back and go, ah, oh, I wish I had better friends. I wish I had better friends. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. Building deep relationships is extremely difficult. It's extremely time-consuming. It's extremely painful. I don't get to do it very often anymore. Uh, but one of the things I used to love to do was rock climb. And I haven't taken too many falls. But the one time I did have a significant fall, it was maybe about a 30-foot fall, I was doing something called sport climbing, where there's anchors in the wall. And as you're climbing, you're taking these things called quick draws, which are two clips attached by a small tether. And you clip it onto the anchor, and then you clip your rope into it, and you keep climbing. But what happens with lead climbing, the rope is attached me to the belayer, and as I climb and clip in, you keep climbing to the next hold. Well, until you get to that next anchor, if you don't clip in and you fall, 
you have all of this rope and then all of that slack, you're going to keep falling. And I was at the last spot, the final anchor, and I was about to clip in, and I was leaning into the wall, and instead of pulling the quick draw, the clip, across my body, I tipped my arm out and I pushed my hips out, and I fell about 20 feet. The fear, the stress, those few moments of falling, it was a really crazy experience to feel the instantaneous relief and extremely deep level of trust the moment the rope caught tension. And as soon as it caught tension and I looked down and my cousin is laying on the ground with his feet braced into the wall, there was this rushing calm that came over me knowing that he had me. He didn't cause me to fall. I fell. And here's what's really tricky, is most of the time, we don't keep people close enough. We don't allow enough trust into the relationship. So we don't even climb with anybody. We go climbing solo, and then we just fall flat on our face, and it's painful every single time. No matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you get dropped on your face, somebody, maybe you have had, your life has been in someone's hands, not literally speaking, but spiritually, emotionally speaking, they had deep trust and they violated that trust. Regardless of how many times you are dropped, the feeling of being caught is well worth it. No matter how many times you are dropped by someone you love, the feeling of being caught is well worth the wait. I can't help you point out and discover who those people are that you should start digging in and building deeper relationships with. But hopefully there's some basic truths that you can start to look for. How do I weed through the, the chaos? How do I look at these kind of, you know, Dunbar's numbers? How do I look at these 150 people and say, hey, where is there possibility for me to dig in here and create something deep and meaningful? But guys, to have that person, to have those, those, that group of people in your life to count on and rely on, whether they're across the country, whether it's four in the morning, is worth the pain and heartache of weeding through all the betrayal and all of the, the breaking apart of friendships. You know, when Judas betrayed Jesus, you know what the disciples didn't do? They didn't run off. They were betrayed in that moment as well. They didn't start looking at each other and going, well, who's going to be next? Who's going to be next? Who's going to be next? but they had such deep trust for each other, even though he just dropped them all flat on their face. They said, he screwed that up, but you guys have caught me so many times. And they were able to bank on those relationships because they were tested. So guys, I hope that you're, you're starting to look to build deeper relationships, but it's going to be a journey to do so. So let's pray together. Father, I praise you, I thank you so much for how you challenge us, how you encourage us. 
we know that this life is, is stressful and difficult. That's a, that's a promise. You will face trials in this life. But Lord, you have hardwired into us to battle and journey with one another. And so many times we've been wounded by friendly fire. So many times we've been dropped flat on our face and we've had relationships fall apart and we've been betrayed and trust has been broken. But God, I ask that if anybody here is struggling to rediscover that sense of trust, would you just give them an abundance of grace, an abundance of forgiveness? Because when we have somebody betray us, when we have a relationship that falls apart, we don't know the, the depths of their heart and what they're going through and all the details surrounding that. So would you give us grace and the ability to forgive those who have betrayed us in the past? And would you give us a renewed spirit to seek out deep, meaningful relationships that are going to help us work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling? They're going to help us become more and more like you as we sharpen one another, as we drive one another to the feet of Jesus. So God, we thank you for your word and our time together. And we praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information on the Young Adult Ministry, follow us on Instagram, or you can email youngadults at cornerstonelive.net.